Well, it's uh, Labor Day weekend, and I couldn't help but think this week, as I see so many people heading back to school, of my very first day in college. As a freshman, incoming, my first day of my first class. And the professor handed out the syllabus. And it was all in purple ink. Come, grandchildren, gather round as I tell you of the mimeograph. (laughs) But anyway, while the professor continued on talking, I was no longer listening. What I was doing was looking week by week at how many pages had been assigned. So, okay, read from page 137 to 284. That's 140-some pages. And then there's this other book we have to read. It was hundreds of pages a week. And my heart sank. And then I got three more syllabuses, syllabi. And, and by the end of the week, I realized I have to read like thousands of pages a week. And I was trying to concoct a strategy in which this could happen. I was like, I really don't need to sleep until fall break. I could do. But finally, a caring upperclassman took me under his wing. And he said, oh, grasshopper. You know, uh, he said, here's what you do. He introduced me to the fine art of skimming. You you obviously, he said, are not going to invest yourself heartily in all four classes. What you do is you pick the one or two that you care most about, and you really plunge in and study in those. And in the other two, you kind of skim through, just enough to get by. And even in the classes that you're invested in, you you can't read all the books, surely. So what you're going to do is you're going to read a few of the books, and then you're going to kind of skim the rest. The, the solution to, to an overloaded life with too much in it and too many expectations is skimming. Then I got into suburban adult life and I discovered that there's way more skimming going on here than there ever was in college. I, I went to convenient care not long ago and I sat in the little exam room on the piece of paper and the doctor finally came in. And uh, she was looking at me and saying, "Uh, so how long have you had these symptoms and what are they? And as she was talking, I realized her, her face was turned toward me and was kind of nodding and looking at me, but her feet were actually angled toward the door. So her face was saying, tell me more. I'm so interested in your medical need. But her body was saying, I have patients stacked up right after you and the business office is on my case about keeping appointments shorter. It's called skimming. Well, I recognize this because I can be sitting at dinner with Karen and she's talking about her day and something that's important to her and I'm kind of nodding and going, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. And inside, because I've overstacked my life, I'm still mentally processing the last appointment I just came out of and I'm mentally preparing for the appointment I'm going to go to as soon as dinner's done. I'm skimming. Or, you know, what I realize that I, I live this kind of life Uh, When this happens to me, I I say to myself, oh, I should call my friend and ask how his doctor appointment went because he seemed very anxious going into it and I want to see how it went for him. And then I look at my watch and it's 9.45 at night. And I go, it's too late to call him. And my friendship gets skimmed. I actually had a pastor, and let's register for a moment that this advice came from a pastor, tell me, oh, I, I, I tell you how to deal with that. I use this app called Go to Voicemail. I, I love it because I never actually have to talk to anybody. I just call them. It goes direct into their voicemail. I leave them the message, and I get so much more done that way. 
This is the level of skimming insanity we're all in, friends. And so we all finish the day anxious, stressed, irritable, and neurotic, but we comfort ourselves by saying, I got so much done. Meanwhile, the people around us are saying, actually, I didn't feel that loved or listened to. Surely, there has got to be a better way to live than this. Surely there's got to be something that's less anxiety-producing for each one of us and much more loving and meaningful for the people around us. Surely there is. Jesus invites us into that kind of life. It is such a countercultural life for us, but his, such a, his invitation is so sweet and clear and, and warm and inviting. And in order to make sure that we get it, he, he gives it to us in a word picture. It's so simple and clear that he knows we, that way we'll see it, what this new life can be, and we'll, we'll remember it, and we'll be able to live into it. Would you turn with me to John 15? At this moment in Jesus' life, he is, knows he's about to die. And so he's feeling the emotional pressure. What am I going to say to my friends and my followers and disciples in these last few moments I have with them? I've got to give them my most important teachings right here, right now. And he emphasizes this word picture. He says, I am the true grapevine. Now let's just stop right there. I think it would be hard for any one of us to imagine how shattering those five words were to the people who heard them. Because all throughout their Hebrew scriptures, Isaiah and the prophets, they all talk about the grapevine. And the grapevine is the nation of Israel. And then on their coins, there's a grapevine to remind them, you are the grapevine, you people of Israel. And then you walk into the temple, and there above the entry to the holy place, there's an enormous gold sculpture of a grapevine with clusters of grapes taller than I am to remind you, you people of Israel are the grapevine. And Jesus says, I'm the grapevine. I'm the true planting of God. I'm the way you connect to the life in God. And even as important and as precious as you are to God and as chosen as you are, your connection to God comes through me. I am the true grapevine. And then he goes on in verse 5 to say, yes, I am the vine and you, my followers, you are the branches. And those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. Now let's think about this word picture, shall we, that Jesus chooses. Because most of us did not grow up near vineyards. As far as I know, there's not a lot of vineyards right here, right around Wheaton. And so vineyard productivity, vine life, is not something we really get. When we think about how do you live a productive life, we think factory productivity. Because we've got factories in Carroll Stream in West Chicago. So let's take, for example, the gel cert factory right there in West Chicago. How would you increase productivity at the gel cert factory? Well, we all know how you do that. You add shifts, more shifts, and you add more workers to the more shifts, and you add more workers and more shifts and more hours, and you, you, you crank up the activity because you're trying to manufacture more results. Well, in vine productivity, how do you get more productive? You stay connected to the vine, and you trust. You trust that the fruit will set on. And will be sweet as you stay connected. 
It's an entirely different kind of productivity. In factory productivity, the work is outside of you. So you can be mean as a goat and you can still turn out great work. But in vine productivity, the, the work is coming through you. It's flowing through you. So your life matters. Your character matters. Your character determines how sweet or sour those grapes are. You, everything comes through the character and the relationships and the connection. And Jesus is saying, you want a productive life. You want a fruitful life. You want a life with meaningful results at the end of the day. Think vine. That's where the fruit is born. Now, this is so hard for us to get. When It is for me, anyway. Karen and I, when we were newly married, the pastor of our Lutheran church came to us one morning after worship in the foyer, and he said, I've been thinking about you guys. Would you guys agree to step up and lead our youth group? And honestly, we were so honored and flattered that he would think of us. What he sort of forgot to mention was that this group had just run off their last three leaders. So, wow, we got into those first few meetings. They were chaotic. On one trip, I had a kid jump out of a moving van. And so I was really stressing out and working super hard on coming up with creative teachings that would engage these students and keep them immersed in the teaching of the Bible. And so I did something kind of cutting edge back then. We played Christian rock music and we discussed the lyrics in the songs. And, and then we did this interactive thing on prayer and, and really got everybody up and moving and, and, and starting to pray. And we did teachings on the Holy Spirit and all that. So after four years of Karen and me doing that ministry, um, then I got a job change and we were going to have to move out of the area. So they had the kids sit in a circle and they went around student by student and shared something that had been meaningful to them in those last four years. And I couldn't wait to hear, I wonder which of the teachings uh, they're going to mention that really sank in and really meant a lot to them. And we went student by student and nobody was mentioning teachings and we finally got all the way around the room and nobody mentioned one teaching. You know what they mentioned? Sarah Crick, I'll give you an example. Sarah Crickow, redheaded girl, sitting over here, she goes, you know what, I kind of watched you and Karen interact with each other and I thought, huh, I hope maybe I can have a marriage like that someday. I was like, sister, you could have gotten that for free. You know? But don't you see that what lasts with people, what sticks with people, what you want to have said about you at the end of your life, what's productive, what's meaningful, is the loving relationship. And we all think, no, I don't have time for that, man. I got to skim because I got to get more done. What exactly are we getting done? Now, how would you and I then live a fruitful life? What does Jesus teach us here? He's such a good teacher, and he brings it all down to one word. Let's look at it there in verse 4. Remain. Remain in me, and I will remain. Thank you. You can, you can speak up. Remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in Are we getting this now? will produce much fruit. The key word, remain. Remain in Jesus. And Jesus now uses the strongest language he can to try to communicate to us what happens if we go, no, I'm not going to remain. That's not the kind of life I choose to live. Let's look at verses 5 and 6 and just see these words brought together. Do nothing. You can do nothing. Thrown away. 
useless, withers, burned. Jesus is piling it on to say, don't you realize, apart from me, apart from a life where you remain in me, there's nothing of value at the end of the day. Don't point to the accomplishments unless they were done in connection and out of intimate, organic, life-giving flow with me. The make or break for us, friends, who want to live productive lives, and we should, is do we remain in Jesus Christ? Now, this is confusing, I think. It was to me for years. I was like, I don't get this remain. It's kind of this mystical concept. And nobody seems to be able to explain it. And I think it's one of those things that maybe you just have to get. And when you get it, you get it. And if you don't get it, you don't get it. It was beyond me. But actually, Jesus teaches us in this passage right here very clearly how we can remain in him. Would you look with me at verse 9? He says, I've loved you. Even as the Father has loved me, remain in my love. Oh, that's what I want, Jesus. That's totally what I want. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Oh. Okay, so obedience keeps me in your love and remaining in you. Well, well, yeah, but there's a lot of commands. Which of your commands? Verse 17, this is my command. Love each other. Jesus brings all of his teaching down into three words. Love each other. So now we can put it all together. I would love, Lord, to have a life of fruit. And to do that, I must remain in your son. And that's all organically connected in a life of obeying your commandments, especially that root command of all the commands to love each other. Not love the people I don't know, the ones I barely have even met on social media so much. He's saying love each other. Start with the people who are right in your life, the ones that actually are the most irritating, that you know their bad habits, that they aren't that awesome in social skills. Maybe they have a personality disorder. Start right there and love them. And what kind of fruit will be born out of your life? Now, I think that the teaching of Jesus Christ right here, as challenging as it is, is amazingly good news. Because we think, oh, I I couldn't make a big contribution with my life because I had limited opportunities. Every single person in this room can love. Every single one of us can remain in Jesus Christ. You go, well, I, I didn't grow up in a family with money. I never had the dollars to try to go to school and do those things. Every single person here can have love. It's available to everybody. And you go, yeah, but I have such limitations in my life. I've got a health condition. You have no idea how hard it is for me to love. I've got two kids in diapers at one time. You have no idea how hard it is for me to love. The very limitations in your life just make the love that much more rich and meaningful. It just makes the grape cluster bigger and the grapes even sweeter. Jesus is inviting every single person And he's making it possible that we can live lives that matter. That when we end up at at the end of our lives and look back, we say, praise God there was fruit. He says you can have much fruit. You can have lasting fruit. And it brings great glory to my Father. If you'll love. Now, how can you and I start to move into this kind of life? How do we move from factory productivity which we're all so good at, into vine productivity? How would we begin to move from, say, skimming to Sabbath? 
I want to pick up on some things that Bishop Stewart taught us last week. He said this. He said, say no to say yes. Or we might even phrase that, do less to love more. And here's the specific way that I would invite each of you to try to begin to apply those words. I want to give you a starting place and it's, it's the application that Stuart brought us last week. I'm not going to give you a new application. You get like a free week. If you already applied his last week, you're already set. But here's the application. Take a prayer day. If you can't take a whole day, take a half a day. If you can't take a half a day, take two hours. If you can't take two hours, take one hour. But seriously, I want you to think and look at your calendars this afternoon. Think about where in this fall I could take a prayer day. You go, I don't like being alone. Take a prayer day. You can go with a friend. Actually, this week, uploaded to the website, will be a whole article from our pastors about what would I even do on a prayer day? We answer that. Where could I go? We answer that. But actually, even if you don't have money or time or whatever, we've got this amazing prayer chapel right through that door right there. It's open from 6 a.m. to midnight. For security reasons, we have an access code, but just call or email the office and they'll give you the code. You can go in there and have your prayer day right there. Now, why, of all the specific pastoral applications, would your bishop and I say this is really a leverage point for moving from skimming to Sabbath? This is a difference maker if you want to move into the life of the vine. Why would we select this? Well, let let me maybe explain that by a story. Last fall, we were having a meeting of our staff here planning for Holy Week. And if you've been around Res for a while, you know that Holy Week is huge here. It is the week of all weeks. It is the week of our year. Everything builds to Holy Week. And so we were planning and talking about ideas for it. And as a staff, sometimes we disagree and we began to mix it up. And the conversation got a little more animated. So then I got even more animated. And then somebody raised their voice just a little bit and I raised my voice even more. And I went into full prosecuting attorney mode. I was so insistent. I was so demanding that I actually made another staff member cry. A man. Yes, I did. And I got it with him in his office after that meeting, and I said, I'm really sorry, forgive me. But I was struck. I was like, what was going on inside my soul that I thought my idea for Holy Week was the most important thing in the world? And I didn't know. Two days later, I had a prayer day. And this is not a badge of spirituality. It's a requirement for the pastors on our staff. One day a month in prayer on the clock. And usually what happens every month, the pastor's going, like I do, oh, I can't do that. I got too many meetings. I got too many emails. Everybody else is like, you're taking it. You're cranky. So I went. And I parked there in Geneva. And I started walking up north along the Fox River in the sunshine. And I was just praying out loud. And my main prayer intention was, God, would you show me what was wrong with my heart? I don't can't get access to what that was about. And I was praying out loud. And then as bikers would come by me, I'd kind of lower my voice so they would not freak out. And then I would pray up again. And you know, by the end of that day at five o'clock, I still had no conscious awareness of what the answer to my question was. But I knew in my soul that wasn't the most important thing. I had somehow, in ways beyond my own knowing, become reoriented to God and to people and to patience. It turns out that to live the Christian life, I need something called a soul. Who knew? And the prayer day was beginning to give that back to me. 
What an invitation we have from the Lord. There is such a rich, amazing invitation in this passage into the life and the intimacy and the organic connection with Jesus Christ. And we just want to give you this simple, practical step that you could all experience that for yourselves this fall. Now, there's a reason why we're calling you into this, friends. It's not just so it will bless you, which it will, and help to reorient your individual life from skimming into Sabbath. But it's also because God has called an audible and has asked all of us as a church to enter this year into a more Sabbath-connected, vine-like life. We've been going along like factory crazy for three years, trying to get into this building and move and start a diocese and consecrate a new bishop. We had five conferences in 16 months. And as we began to pray and talk amongst our staff and, and clergy and vestry and lay leaders this spring, it seemed like person after person was going, you know what? I'm worn out. Uh, It would be such a relief if I could just kind of rest and catch my breath. And so we're going against the advice of our consultant who is like, you'll need another uh, generosity initiative this fall. We're going against the advice of various area churches who coached us, expect to do one. And we're saying, no, I don't want to run a factory here. Do you? I want vine. I want vineyard. I want rich fruit. We've got to live into that. And we're the intense church. So this is against our grain. We don't know how to do this very well. And so we're all just going to start humbly and start taking a prayer day this fall. And hopefully, as, as we obey God in this and as we lean into this, we're going to find clarity for our next vision. We're going to find strengthening of heart for the souls of our leaders. We're going to draw near to God. And we're going to put all of our weight and all of our faith in these words of Jesus Christ. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear fruit. It's got to happen. Jesus is giving us such a fantastic invitation. In this text, he says, I've loved you. He's saying, I've chosen you. I have appointed you to go and bear fruit. Not just a little bit of fruit, much fruit. Not just like fruit that'll last for a little while and then go away. Lasting fruit. And all of that will bring such great glory to my Father. And all you need to do is remain in me. Come, Lord, lead us in this, we pray. We acknowledge that as a people, we're not really good at this. We like visible results. We like counting the numbers. There's a way in which we really get energized by the adrenaline rush of productivity. And you are taking us into a new place. And it's a place that we need so much, and yet it's often so strange and unfamiliar to us. Would you grant us now a special grace by your Holy Spirit that we could enter into the life of the vine, that we could remain in your dear Son, and that we could bear much fruit that brings you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.